Now entering Nerdist.com. You made it weird. You made it weird. You made it weird. Oh, yeah. You made it weird. You made it weird. Yes, you did. You made it weird. Oh, yeah. You made it weird with Pete Holmes. Yes, you did. Hello, weirdo friends. It's me, Peter. Uh, here's a wonderful episode. Just uh, Jay Moore and I have been trying to sit down to make it weird for a long time. He kept saying he would only give me 60 minutes. He was adamant, and I'm proud that we uh, we squoezed uh, 90 minutes out of him, which which is a special 90 minutes. We really packed it in, and it was wonderful, and I'm thrilled to uh, to bring it to you guys. A couple plugs up top. Nice try, The Devil. My new special is coming out May 12th at 11 p.m. on Comedy Central. Please check that out. And or get the CD, DVD which will be available May 14th. The tour date's coming up. Cleveland, Ohio, Grog Shop on May 16th. Washington, D.C. at the 930 Club, May 22nd. Philly for Helium, May 23rd through 25th. Bloomington, Indiana for the Limestone Comedy Fest, June 7th and 8th. Portland, Oregon at the Aladdin Theater, June 28th. Seattle, Washington, the Neptune, June 29th. Uh, you can also support the show. Get a t-shirt at youmadeitweird.com or uh, watch a You Made It movie. It's me and a guest watch a movie. That's available on iTunes as well. And also our sponsor is Bonobos. We know this by now. Bonobos is a wonderful, cutting-edge men's apparel brand that does it right. You don't have to pick between comfortable and shabby or good-looking and not comfortable. What they've done is they got good-looking, comfortable clothing. we got style and comfort. It's not a mutually exclusive choice anymore. We call that what? Blazer accuracy. Because Bonobos gives you both. Too good to be true? Certainly not. Bonobos is a customer-pleasing business. The only choices you'll have to make on their website as you sift through their wide variety of slim and straight wash chinos or casual shirt colors is just how awesome you think it is. I just made that up. I thought that was pretty good. They got free returns. And in addition to that, you'll get 20% off for being a new customer and a fan of the show, you guys. So no more excuses to dress, you know, shabby. Go to Bonobos.com, type in Pete on the way out, get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-N-O, like Bono, B-O-S, like Bonos, uh, dot com. Bonobos. All right, everybody. Enjoy really one of the one of the, one of the more meaningful conversations I've had in my life with Jay Moore. Because I was downstairs and I, I, was, I was trying to get in. I know we're, record- <laughs> we're recording, but I didn't know that I was behind Pat O'Brien. It's a big battle. I can't do them. Pat O'Brien. Pat O'Brien and uh, a here home for run by Pete Rose. Pete Rose, the all-time hits leader. Is he doing a sports thing, too? Yeah, it's, he's uh, the show on Fox Sports Radio here in L.A., him okay. and Steve Hartman. As you did, as we just did. Yeah, we did it was the, fun. What, tell, I'm sorry. Tell me the name of your sports show. You said it. Jay Moore Sports. <laughs> That's it. That's it. I couldn't remember that. Trey, but I want people to, to take from the Pete Holmes You Made It Weird podcast. Yeah. To go to my podcast, more I don't stories. Really, I don't want anybody here to go. Oh, now I got something from my morning commute about sports. M o h r n i n g. We don't want people. You want you want podcasties. Yeah, because they're know, the best fans in the world. Is that they your are experience? the best? They are absolutely the best. Unbelievable. You said you're doing, you do it. I know you're touring around a little bit. You don't tour too. too when much. will this air, Pete Holmes? I don't know. <laughs> we're we're out twice. Jaymore.com for yeah. all my stand up dates. But more importantly, uh, yeah. if, if you guys want to help me out, I'm groveling off the bat. I sound like Colin Quinn <laughs> right off the bat. Go on the Pete Holmes podcast <laughs> and begin groveling. <laughs> Go see my podcast too. Go see. You're already up and running on the internet. It's one of my favorite things. Impressions to me as a philosophy are 
The confidence, commitment, because it's the type of thing that people can tell. Any knucklehead can tell if it's good or bad. And you're wonderful at them. And doing your podcast, yeah, I recommend people start with that episode. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, you know what? I but will we say do this. them the whole Excellent time. Excellent jumping off point. Yeah. Go listen to Pete Holmes on more stories. You're right. That I'll was find your way as, to plug it. It was fun as hell. But what is your what is your feeling doing impressions on stage? One of the things I'm going to put this to you, and then I want to hear you talk for like ten minutes if you want. But I'm going to talk for two. Is the That's idea that amazing. my whole my whole life I thought maybe <laughs> I believe Pete Holmes. You just said you got one of those. It snuck in real quick. My, I felt like my whole life when I was a young man starting com- when I was a young man starting comedy in Boston, I thought maybe I could do impressions. But it took me until I was like twenty nine, thirty before I even started to try. Why? Fear. Because it's humiliating. It's it's fearful. <laughs> yeah. If you're like this is my Morgan Freeman, then you do it, and people just know it's wrong. Good old Andy. Oh, Andy. What was it you almost it's, said on the radio when you asked me, is it okay to say, were you going to say like, rape? Yeah, I'd like to say the sisters didn't rape Andy that night. But that's a, that's a line from the movie. I didn't know yeah, if we could just we're say We're in the middle rape. of a, a, a national radio show, and Pete goes, can I say rape? Yeah. I go, you know what? <laughs> no. <laughs> you can at home. As Morgan Freeman. But not in someone's car driving yeah. through Cincinnati, Ohio, like, whoa, whoa, I don't have to listen ah. to this shit. If anybody can get away with saying rape, it's me. Morgan, Morgan Freeman. Freeman. Yeah. No one ever talks about the benefits of rape. <laughs> oh, my God. Let's not forget all the men and women. Oh, Jesus. The amount of fortitude and intestinal feel- strength it takes to keep an erection while putting someone down. <laughs> oh, you're, oh, my God. And we just went from zero to a lot of complaints. <laughs> Why? You, you just said... Oh, wanted- no, no. I'm on your side. I'm here for you. And we're riffing. And, and in the world of riffing, do call in again because... What do you, what do you want him to do? You know? <laughs> The whole world's outside, you know, reading beneath the wheel by Herman Hess complaining. See, that's fantastic. And two things about impressions. One, you said when I did your show that you can't steal an impression, to which I say I've stolen impressions from you. I stole Stephen Wright from you. I heard you do it, and I've heard Stephen Wright before, but then I hear you do it, and I'm like, oh, that's how you do it. You just got to talk like this and do a little bit of a Boston accent, and then you say... uh, stealing's a, uh, it, it's not stealing it's learning it's like if you learn a riff on the guitar you don't go well he stole that from that person he learned yeah. how to play that blues riff from Willie Dixon right I think you have an obligation if you do an impression if you, if I learn Christopher Walken from Roger Cabler I have a responsibility and obligation to do it better yeah oh. you improve it take it and run with if it if you're going to do Stephen Wright because you saw me do Stephen Wright that's because you go I can do it better and you do do it better. Ah, uh, well, I, I'm not joking. Well, that's very. Although I, I will say this, you do border against Jewish woman. I know. When I was just doing, <laughs> you like. I'm just oh, going to let that go. I got to talk to the landlord. I, I had to get go. my red puppy. I was going down and. <laughs> I was going to say no, that was perfect. Oh my god! Well, that we'll talk about. I always the, the... wanted to be a landlord. You just go from door to door and ask people to give him rent money. <laughs> Back in the day, to become a lord, you had to like conquer a castle or something now you just got to collect eleven hundred dollars on the first of the 15th wear a belt you got to wear a belt with a lot of keys on it where you get a key ring that size i like to think it's either for a janitor or a giant with one key (laughs) (laughs) giants do always have a giant key ring with one key that's brilliant and it's brilliant and you're in like a bird cage and they hang it over the fireplace yeah (laughs) there's porridge and you just (laughs) giants love porridge that's how they get so big you know 
nobody knows. The Giants, there was a big porridge shortage. <laughs> That's why they're so crazy about porridge. For like, it was almost like 110 years. If you were a giant, you couldn't get porridge because of the racism. And there was so much blowback in the giant community. Nobody wanted to be seen eating porridge. This is a deleted scene from his history show. Yeah. The giant portion. Of course it was. Why do they call we wanna, it? What do you want to call it? Rhodesia? We all you know, it was Giantville. <laughs> it's a shame it's not a TV show because you're calling face. See, that's one of the funny things. Sometimes when you're on the phone with somebody, you'll do hand gestures and stuff. And here you are on a podcast, but you do the face because the face helps you do the impression. You know what I mean? You, you, uh, you've taken the wind out of my cells a couple times, Pete Holmes. Why? You... Uh, <laughs> You mean because I dissect you, the bird? You sounded like Lou Ferrigno. Uh, why? 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 That was Schwarzenegger. Do you do Schwarzenegger? Because it's one of the most fun ones and people look down on it. Uh, I, I, I don't, but I love your uh, video you shot oh, you for the Accent that. Away. What was it? Axagon, yeah. Axagon was that so That was funny. my SNL audition. I never got called in. I never got to audition for SNL, but I did. It's their loss, man. I, you think so? Absolutely. That you means a lot. Dominant. Oh, God. Because you can also come up with original characters just goofing off. Yeah. And that's yeah. what it's about. And it's, it's hard. Like in the old days of uh, SNL, it's either writer-driven or it's performance-driven. Yes. And when it's at its best, it's performance-driven. And when it hits those real lulls, it's writer driven, right? Like we got the best writers. Well, it doesn't matter if you're writing clever shit. I'm fucking drunk, right. On Michelob, and I just did three bong hits out of a graphics bong with a Wu Tang sticker on it. Yeah. I don't want your smart fucking Harvard ass in my living room. <laughs> I want Ed Grimley <laughs> dancing to Wheel of Fortune. Well, you need a writer that can merge with the lunacy right. of a performer. Like, uh, Will Farrell, like doing Robert Goulet, like that's not intelligent. <laughs> it's hilarious. Just Goulet, you bet your balls that's Neil Diamond. I, oh, I, how do how do you get into Neil Diamond? I love singing any song as Neil Diamond. I can't. Let me tell you a story about Neil Diamond. My <laughs> wife and I saw Neil Diamond at the Staples Center. Is this true? This is a true story, but I'm going to do it. I sound like that Will sounded like Harry Carey. Hey, I'm going to do it. It's a true story. You know, I once wrote a soundtrack for a movie. <laughs> it was jazz, but they didn't use any of it. I thought the sharks and I would catch it too. <laughs> They took all the lyrics out. It was, I'm gonna get you, bite you, circle, bite you, yeah. They, t- they took all the words out. They took all the words out of my tongue. Hey. I'm gonna bite you. What if the shark had some type of vaudeville background? I'm gonna bite you, circle, bite you again. Get a vibe. I just how injured you are before I drag you into the bit and finish my meal here, ball one to Mark Grace. Tell the Neil Diamond. Neil Diamond goes, uh, you know, uh, I did a soundtrack for a movie. What was the movie you oh, did the soundtrack for? Are you helping me find it? It's, it's just what was the soundtrack? super cool. The I, movie. Love story? I don't know. Come on. I don't know. You listeners, right now, people are yelling. People are flipping out right now. He goes, I did the soundtrack to that movie. And one Ooh. of the great things, uh, that was in 1982. And one of the great things about doing a soundtrack is you're forced to write new songs. And right now, I'd like to share with you some of those <laughs> new songs. Love on the Rocks. <laughs> Ain't no surprise. <laughs> Love on the Rocks? Like, that was his new shit. 
And he did like a story about like because I did this movie. Why it's new? I was forced to like go deep inside myself. It's 1982. Well, he's been on a bus. You know what I mean? That's two years before 1984. (laughs) That sounded like Kaito. So twice. That's what I was going to say. Twice you took me down a peg in a good way. Okay. I got to step up my Stephen Wright game because yours surpassed mine in my own garage on my podcast. Oh god! And you told me my Harvey Keitel sounded deaf. To which my engineer said he's right. It does, actually. You know, I've been trying what to... What the fuck was Pete thinking? <laughs> to say you can't do impressions of a man if it's going to sound like you need to cackle and rip it. Get him a goddamn ear again. Say the goddamn words. He doesn't sound deaf. I, Shut up. I hate it. both of you and your faces. Words. words. Say the goddamn words. words. You're going to come in here... I can't do them. Ray, you came in here with the plan of a little boy. <laughs> this cop plan. You wrote it down on the back of a matchbook. <laughs> you see, a thing like boy, like doing Owen, uh, Owen uh, Wilson. Wilson, I remember seeing someone else do that impression, and, and I realized that the word is stories. Like, he goes, I just want to come. I can't, I can't really do them, but it's oh, like, okay. I just want to come by and, and read stories. Stories. Skyler like, Stone probably saw do it. He does a great own one. Oh, really? But, and then when you go, boy, What's with the word cancer? Boy. They're called touchstones. Boy. Oh, yeah. Boy. I've now, said Now, look at how close I... I just said I can't do Harvey Keitel. Now I'm like, boy, you wrote down on the back of a Mitch book. I'm not saying it's good. But Mitch that's, book. that's what you steal from somebody. That's what you go like, oh, There's I now know it. There's a to hang your coat on in yes. every impression. And yes. No matter how far off you go, yes. you can always come back and go, he's a boy. <laughs> he's a good kid. <laughs> and with walking, it's the two-syllable, one-syllable words. Like, no is now. <laughs> you gotta know. When you, I hang your hat. You did it on the... You killed me when you talked about, I'm going to take off yeah. this lab coat. Yeah, let me take off my lab coat. <laughs> And just anything with him, you just mix the Coat. the syllable emphasis. You just mix and match. And like, why don't we go get Chinese food instead of Chinese? So you just do great. weird things like that. But you're right. Go. There's a touchstone for every impression. Now, when you auditioned for SNL, you did impressions. Because I told you I love that story. And every time I'm at Stand Up New York, I think of you on stage. Will you tell that story, please? Because I, I read your book, Jay. I read your book. I was so obsessed. Which one? <laughs> uh, I have two oh, bestsellers. I'm sorry. I read. I read Gasping for Air. Time. Oh, I meant. I thought you meant the Bible. That's the book. <laughs> I'm really here. Uh, I read book your. Of I read your Testament. Yeah. The book. Bo- of Jay. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone walks around and they sound like they're deaf. <laughs> when I do Jesselnick, I try and do a touch of uh, deaf. You know Anthony Jesselnick? I don't know him, but I know exactly who he is. But I, I try and I'm, I'm working on it. It's not very good. He goes like, I said I love it. Like there's a little bit of a, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, I was walking around and I said, good for you. And then you just have to say something. Good I old think, Anthony. <laughs> Doing a show called the Jesselnick Offensive. It's offensive. There's just a little bit of uh, something in the back that I consider the deaf sound. It's, it's really just closing off your nose. That's what your Kaitel is doing, and that's what uh, there's a little bit in Jesselnick. What the fuck was Joe thinking? <laughs> he He's a good look, boy. He's a good kid. He got shot in the gut. It's my fault. He got shot in the gut. <laughs> That's a great movie. Will you tell right, the... So oh, SNL, yeah. I auditioned my... Are you tired of this story? No, not at all. Me talking about me? <laughs> I know. I, I'm a big best. fan of that myself. But I, I want this to be a good podcast You know, for I'm both a huge fan of the book Outliers. Uh, you know, 
because it put aside all my questions about like, you know, hey, you're an overnight success. Not me, but yeah, be like, sure. where did Alanis Morissette come from? Right. She just came out of nowhere. Right. And they don't see you like grinding it out in the clubs for 15, 18 years. Yeah. And the book Outliers really, I realized in that book, I was born at a certain time where I was in the comedy boom, like the curtain of the comedy boom hadn't closed. So You were Bill Gates. You were as young as you could be to right. benefit from it. Exactly. So I was, uh, my manager owned the comedy club. I lived in the village. I walked to the comedy club every single night. I was banging out my 10,000 hours. At the Boston. At the Boston Comedy Club. where I cut my teeth. Comedy Cellar was right around the corner. Then we'd go, there was just, there was comedy clubs every place. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. anyway, my manager put together a showcase for Saturday Night Live, and the air conditioning was broken. It's on the second, it's a dump. It's a real shithole. It's the not Boston. there anymore, the Boston it's Comedy hot. Club. I, me and, uh, me and. Ski Lodge for crackheads. Me and Joe DeRosa went there. Oh, it, it's. <laughs> It's a restaurant. You can go, and the only thing that's left is the fireplace. And I went up, and I leaned. Which every comedy club needs uh, is a hearth <laughs> <laughs> to put your participatory trophies up. That was one of my openers. I always used to say, "Doesn't it feel like we're snowed in?" Because it looked like a ski lodge, yeah. and it was always like four people. I, I got it when it was done. You did it when it was good. There was a time when the lineup would be you, Chappelle. You know what I mean? Like all yeah. these guys dropping. It was by. nuts. Patrice, Red Johnny, and the Round Guy, uh, Chappelle, like you said, Nick DiPaolo, Colin yeah. Quinn, David Tell. That we would all just go up in a row for free. Yeah. No one even yeah. thought to get paid. Yeah. And now it seems like comics are like, well, how much is it? Because you know, do I have to pay for tolls? Do I? Yeah. Do, are yeah, you, yeah, like, yeah. do you want the gig or not, stupid? Well, I was bar- I was barking for five hours to do five minutes. It was and an, then what? You an hour saw a psychiatrist a and he convinced you you weren't a dog. Or? You know, there too is easy, a fetish. No, there's a fetish where you do pretend you're a dog, and I'm so grateful I don't have that one. How do you work that in the conversation? Be like, uh, we've been fucking for a while now. Would you mind if I do- am a dog? Can I sniff your ass? <laughs> yeah. I want to sniff your ass. (laughs) We have been dating too long. I love looking back. Speaking of talking about me, I love telling war stories and being like, those were the days. That sort of thing of like, not only was it not money, but it was losing your entire evening to go up at the end for literally one person. So this is the Boston. You're up there. But I also think, too, and I I will not forget this story, I promise, but if I can impart any wisdom as a 42-year-old father or two who's madly in love, with his wife, I I need everyone to just take a second and realize these are the days. Right now, you and I sitting here talking. Yeah. Like, and it's taken me a long time to, it's almost like a Buddhist exercise in like being present and being here now and the, the presence of meditation as it's happening. But like the fun I'm having right now, I'm realizing yes. like in 10 years, I'm going to go, then Pete came to like my radio yeah, show yeah, yeah. and we banged out his You Made It Weird podcast. Yep. We went upstairs and we just goofed off. Jay, you're blowing my mind because you sound like you're hosting my show because things that always come up, <clears throat> I'm not kidding, are outliers. Why are you cr- you're crying? I just can't handle it. I wish I could. Uh, outliers and then presence. What you're saying is something that the I... The Led Zeppelin album that nobody appreciates, presence? No, that I deliberately try to, in what you're saying, when I look back at the, like barking or whatever or doing this podcast, that is one of the goals of life is to go, there's no time like the present. In fact, I would say there's, there's really nothing but the present. Like the Beastie Boys said, ain't no time like the present to work shit out. <laughs> <laughs> and then one of them died of throat cancer. So, oh God, two he, uh, two complaint topics. <laughs> yeah. So my manager had a comedy club in the village, and he put together a Saturday. We're talking Night Live. about presence more, but finish the story. Yeah, go ahead. Showcase, and I went on third. And I remember Barry Katz, my manager, goes, "Your best hitter hits third, man." You're I love go- going third. He's right. You're going to go up third. You clean up. Okay. Host one, was- two, three, or no? Host there was like twelve two, people. 
It was yeah, a showcase for the whole thing. Are we counting the host as the first comedian, I'm saying? Uh, I guess, yeah. yeah. No, I don't know. It's Third hard. is right. It's cleanup. Because because you they have something to compare you to. They're warmed up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if you're great and you're first, they're just like, oh, everybody's great. But if you're great and you're third and the second guy, maybe he was great, but it wasn't your cup of tea, you're like, this is yeah. good. I'm going to spend my last now. He's so funny. How you, you're exactly right. You do need something poor in front of you and yeah. let the audience know, if you thought that was good, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're going to go bananas because this is really, really good. That's basically the whole setup of a traditional club show. Yeah. And that's why... It, that's why I don't never have an MC on my live stand-up shows. Really? It's a two-man show. Somebody goes up this 20 minutes, then I do an hour and change. And my philosophy is always like... The host is the guy that has the least experience, Yep, and he goes on stage the most. Yeah. He goes up first when they're ice cold, ordering yeah. drinks, eating nachos, like, hey, yeah. how's everybody doing? Yeah. Let me tell you 15 minutes of shit that's not really that funny. Right, right, right. Then I'm going to bring up a guy. Then I'm going to go up again yeah. and do 10 minutes as a buff. Like, now that yeah. you are warmed up, yeah. let me remind you how poor I am. <laughs> Remember me? And then your headliner will come up and yeah. dig himself out of the <clears throat> hole I just remade yeah. with my religion chunk. <laughs> Well, but I mean, what's going on with these Catholics? Am I right, guys? All right, you guys ready for your headliner? But it's hard because you're the least experienced and you get put in the most difficult spot. Which I think <clears> is good, actually. You know? Well, that's how it's you... It's like being that, a private in the army. You're thrown. You're on the front line, shoot somebody. Yeah, you're thrown in. You're all thrown the generals in the are in an office at uh, NIAD going, I, she sees him. I, I heard <laughs> in, the, in the day, I actually heard that in, when you headline, sometimes you do what they do in Great Britain, which is the guy, if it's the Jay Moore show, you come out first and then you bring out a guest. So you do 20, a guest friend, 20, guest friend, 20. You break up your hour into three 20s. I would only do it with one guest. And it was, because, it was born out of necessity because I was having panic attacks on stage. And I was terrified to wait oh my God, time out to go on that. stage. Yeah. So if I went out first and just started talking and I yes. would tell the audience I'm here... We're going to have a great show. We're going to have a great show. We're going to have a great show. And then I looked at my watch and I realized, all right, well, that's 20 minutes. And then I would bring out my opening act. But my opening acts have been very fortunate. I mean, like, uh, you know, Burt Kreischer, Tom Segura, Ralphie May, Nick Swartzen, Ryan Sickler. There's always been somebody that could absolutely crush ass going up. I never had anybody average going yeah. on before yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then once my panic attacks stopped, I would do it. If I thought a guy wasn't getting a fair shake, I, I love comics. And if I thought a guy can totally headline, you know, Comedy Works in Denver, I would, I would go up first and do like 45 minutes, like my set. Yeah. And then I'd go, you know what? I've been such a dick. This guy, this poor guy, you know, he's so funny. And I would just come out and say, hi, but you guys were so great. If you could just keep this energy going, bring. And then I let my friend come out, do a half hour. So essentially, like, this guy's following me. Yeah. And then I go to the club owner and go, now you're going to tell me this guy can't headline? Oh, wow. He just followed me. So you just set it up. Yeah. You're giving gifts. Uh, but but that, they don't repay the gift. They leave you in the end. They, they often do. Yeah. I, they mean, do. I, I have they to go assume. to another network. But, but that sort of, you know, it's interesting. Is that an anxiety reducer? We're talking about, I'm also an anxious person. I, I, I deal with that as well. I, I love, one of the things I loved about your book is the story of Clonopin. Yeah. Clonopin, having a Clonopin in your pocket during. It's Clonopin pocket, right? There. Is that right? You have one on you? I don't actually, because through repetition, 
I don't think I... No, I don't have one. You have something well, like that. The tiny pocket in your jeans above your right pocket is a Klonopin pocket. You just keep one there. It's like having an inhaler if you have asthma. If you take it with you, you won't right. need it. And also, yeah, just touching it, I have to imagine, is comforting. You're like, I know I have... Yeah. Uh, and, if, uh, and if you forget your inhaler and you go to the beach, you're going to be like, oh my God, what if I have an asthma attack? Right. And then you talk yourself into one. You can probably psych yourself into one absolutely mentally. I have to imagine a good portion of a panic attack is mental. When you, when you, uh, it is because the things that lead a panic attack and an anxiety attack are two separate things. Anxiety is stimulus response. Your boss shits on you all day. So every day when you drive to work, you get incredible anxiety and dread because you're approaching the place that makes you feel so terrible about yourself. That's wild. A panic attack is you're literally sitting in a subway on your way to work and you're just looking at a poster and all of a sudden you are dying and you can't breathe and you're having a heart attack and you're about to shit your pants and have diarrhea all over For the place. For no reason, just Nothing. A, a random day. It's a neurological glitch. You're the... Uh, the the doors in your brain like a, a hatch on a submarine that are keep closed all the time that release all your adrenaline endorphins at life saving levels yeah that's off and your life saving level release of adrenaline and endorphins like if we were under attack yeah. and terrorists came in here and you and I and Maddie like we just ran around to like pull people out of rubble it's that but nothing's happening oh my god and you can't explain it to anybody it's a real betrayal of your brain that's what I always that's what always strikes me first when I have people talk about manic episodes or whatever. It's your brain who's in charge, who's here to preserve you and has and done a pretty good job. you betray you because you let your machismo get in the way of reporting the betrayal of your brain. Because you're a man, you're supposed to be a patriarch and you're supposed to have your shit together. Is that the feeling? You don't want to go to somebody and go, hey, but I think I'm going crazy. Yeah. Because I don't want to go to a restaurant because I'm afraid I'm going to shit my pants in yeah. public. Yeah. And every time I swallow, I think I'm going to throw up. And I know it's only a matter of time before I throw up and shit and die of a heart attack and flop around yeah. like a fish on the deck of a boat yeah. in front of everybody and fart into a mic. Oh my God. You, gee, I'm so glad. No, don't do it again. <laughs> Can you smell that? Yeah, it's my Why mic. Why smell it? I thought that, that is the first fart. Of all the people. You don't smell it again. Well, I don't. the listeners need to know that I'm, I'm, I'm a man of my word. I stay I, in the pocket. I, I take my lumps. Look, I would go on a fart riff with you for 30 minutes if you didn't tell me we only had an hour to do but this But the fact show. that I worked that into the rhythm of that whole thing, I no, thought I'm you impressed. would really enjoy it. I'm impressed, and a lot of people are laughing very hard right now. A lot of them are going, this is the worst. They're farting the mics. No, that, you can't beat a fart. When I was in junior high, all we did was call each other and fart into the phone. That's all. We did. <laughs> you can't beat a fart in a fight. <laughs> but let me. Let me what hear, impression should I do before I fart into the mic again? If you're gonna do another mic fart, well, I want to give you one that you like doing that you haven't done yet. Tracy Morgan. Tracy Morgan. Yeah, I'll tell you one thing, Beat Holmes. I think I'm about to have a fart baby. Oh yeah. my god! I didn't know he's you. He's small, but he smells like he's bigger. I didn't know you had one on deck. I got a million of them, Pete Holmes. Oh, I'm trying to explain to you. I got everybody pregnant. Me and Paul McCartney had a baby. And John okay, Lennon came pregnant. out. Yeah, I got everybody pregnant with my arm. Oh God! I'm arm pregnant oh, with a boy. Let me tell you this: right, most my- people who choke in restaurants die in the bathroom. Did you know that? I do now. No, I did not know that. Because of exactly what you're saying. So you're having a panic attack, and I have to imagine, especially if you're a comedian, a self-conscious person, and as you pointed out, what about a when man. You're all, yeah, and if you're rec- people actually recognize you places, right. then you get complete agoraphobia and claustrophobia. And panic, is in, it, it's, off, it, it's very smart uh, as a neurological glitch, because when you start treating panic, it'll redirect itself, and you'll just get agoraphobia. You drive across country in the middle of Kansas, and you'll be like... This isn't right. This is weird. Like, I used to not be able to drive to Vegas. I'd get anxiety in that one stretch on the drive yeah. to Vegas. I'd yeah. be like, 
wow, like if something, if I had like a heart attack right now, who, how wow. are you on airplanes? Because that's crossed my mind before. I like, asked my psychopharmacologist, Noelle Taylor, who saved my life, and she's the one who treated Sarah Silverman, who's in my book, Gasping for Airtime. And I told Sarah Silverman what was happening to me at Saturday Night Live. We will finish that story. And Sarah said, You're having a panic attack. Go see my doctor, Noelle Taylor. She saved my life. I left her a message. I saw her the next day, which was a Sunday, and that woman indeed saved my life because we caught it early. And she's, and I, you know, I'm a young guy, and I'm like, so what do I see you next week? She goes, I don't want to get into your childhood. It doesn't really interest me. Hmm. You, if you had bronchitis and I got you antibiotic, would you come back next week? Like, I don't right. really, I don't care how it happened. Right. I just know what happened, and this is the pill that fixes it, and I don't want to do an archaeological dig that's old psychiatry, and I think it does more harm than good. Now you have a fast-acting anti-anxiety. Well, now just from flying all the time and not having panic attacks, it's like trust is earned. Yeah. Like your body just With trusts. yourself. You're just fine. I'm in traffic, and I have to pee. Like this is, to- this is what everyone feels like. Yeah. I'm in a tunnel, and I'm not moving. I'm not right. crazy about it. Why would you be? It'd be weird if you were comfortable in a tunnel right. stuck. But airplanes, I said to her, it's the loss of uh, – it's the loss of control. Yeah. Like I never could be a passenger in someone's car and I'd always freak out. And she says, but why flying? I go uh, – and I, before I can answer, she goes, it's the most structured thing you do. You know months out the flight number, where you're going to sit. Mm-hmm. You know what time it leaves, from which city. You know how long you will be in the air. An hour into the flight, they're going to have a food cart bring down food and yeah. drinks. Yep. They're going to tell you when you're going to land. They'll tell you if you're going to be late. Yep. And then you land, and someone's waiting for you with your name on a sign saying, yep. more, follow me right here. Why would that, of all things, yeah. that should be the most... And ever since she put that in my head, I just fall asleep on planes. That's, that's true. I love sleeping on a plane because you're right. It is so regimented, is what I would I say. I don't understand how people are like, oh, I can't sleep on planes, man. <laughs> that's how they say it to me all the time. I go, just can't do it. You can't sleep on planes, man. And I'm like, what? You've seen guys on planes just sitting there staring at the seat rest in front of me, like, bro, close your eyes. Yeah, give it a try. Yeah, give it a try. And there's the white noise. There's the hmm. puts me right out. It's me right out. My wife says if I ever get insomnia, she's going to put an airplane seat in the bedroom. That's a good idea. Yeah, because because you're so trained at it. Let me ask you this about control, and then we'll get mm-hmm. back. We got about three stories in the fire right now, yeah, and we'll get good. to them. They're all nice and toasty. But man. I want to ask you. All right, all right, all right. Uh, let's take our shirts off and just get crazy. I see we got a lot of lawbreakers in here tonight. <laughs> Let me ask you about control. Is that one of the reasons you love comedy? Because it is the most structured. Seinfeld had this great quote. He's like, I don't know what to say to these people at a party, but you sit them all, 300 people in a the theater, I go out. And it's established. It's like a flight. It's regimented. I talk for this long. You laugh for this long. Good night forever. I don't. I think I was born a comic, and all of everything else is just how my hard drive is installed. I don't think the two are related. I think they're exclusive. You don't enjoy the control a- aspect of the show. Well, of course, if I if I'm controlling it, I'm doing it well. So of course, I enjoy the sure, control. Sure, if, sure. I, if I lose any of the control, I'm doing it poorly. But you think this is in your DNA? You like oh, this? Yeah. This it's was your. Neural, it's some people, and my doctor also said, you know, some people get asthma, some people get hives, some people are allergic to bees. This is the straw you pulled. Right. We but caught it early. The panic is in your DNA, but you, you say being a comedian is in your DNA. Oh, yeah. I definitely think you're born a comic. I don't yeah. think it's something you can teach. Right. Like if you said – John, John Heffern and I had this conversation on my podcast, and it was – if I had a gun to your head and home invasion, it was like, teach this guy how to tell a joke yeah. or I'm going to kill you, we'd yeah. all be dead. 
Yeah, I think you could do something, but I, I think you would always... Know, it would be like make a cyborg that seems like a human. <laughs> talk, talk about yourself. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm Stanley. I work in accounts receivable. Yeah. And, no, no, no. But make it funny. Oh, he has to do it that right like then? Like if I had a gun to your head and Right said, now. I don't get six him, months. Teach him how to do a joke. Well, teach him. How do you do it? I can teach you how to hit a baseball right now. Yeah. Well, you're right. There's something... I, I always liken it to a, a sexual instinct. I know that's weird, but there's something responsive and, uh, you know, it's like making out or something. You understand? Like organic. You're paying attention to an audience in a way that is kind of hard to describe, if you're good at it. You know what I mean? You're, you're yeah, feeling the laugh. I'm obsessed with the mic fart, and I need the listeners to know we're actually using my mics. Yeah, they are your mics. I don't want people to think, like, what a scumbag. He no. goes on Pete's podcast and farts in his mics. We are actually holding my mics. Yeah. Pete's doing me a favor. Yeah. I am uh, aware that you've probably farted in the mic that I'm using, though. Are you wearing, holding the blue mic or the red mic? Yeah, I only, I only farted into the red mic. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, you're dead. It's, is it Mike? Jesus. Matt. Oh, fuck. I M. knew it was Matt. It's an and I said Mike because we're talking about mics. I'm sorry, Matt. <laughs> Matt in the back no, it's goes. Mike. I'm just Those me. are just the cords. It's Mike. You son of a bitch. Why? It's Matt. No, that's Mike Cox. You... This we we don't have time for this. My my manager owned the comedy club had a yeah. showcase for Saturday Night Live. You go on third. The air conditioning was broken. Yes, it's a hundred and eleven degrees. <laughs> I'm done laughing about this. Your name is Matthew. You said that like you were calling him a queer. <laughs> Your name is Matthew. So why don't you go lay down with some dude and rub each other up and no. down, Matthew? Sounds all right. You go on third and it's hot and steamy. Uh, they left after Who halfway. Left? Th- Marcy Klein, Ryan Sharaki, and a couple SNL associate producers. Yes. They got halfway through the fourth guy and they left. So they saw you. They saw me in two minutes. Like, But they didn't oh see the God. fourth guy because they're going, should we just get out of here? So eight guys went up with their lives open and on the line and no one saw them isn't it weird that it often comes down to something like that <clears throat> yeah. when did you go on who saw you somebody walks in like i'm sure you've done this i've walked into things seen the right guy at, a, at an open mic or a small show and been like that's a funny guy and then i file him under for funny the rest of my life maybe i need an opener maybe i need this yeah i just happen to walk in that's me i have no idea when i did fallon i wanted lauren to see me so badly i don't think he did not that it would have made that big of a difference it's not that i don't think you're uh, you know it's uh <laughs> It's very funny, Pete. Everybody just does Doctor Evil now. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> let's 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 not get caught up in semantics of. Uh, uh, do you know Paul Simon? <laughs> now you do the Boston. You get seen because they don't leave yeah. after. Then three. I have a second audition at Stand Up New York, which is sterile. It's a very sterile room. It's almost like an operating room to yeah. me. It's yeah, a weird okay. room. Okay, I've always found it to be hot. Hot like there. like hot, a club, good, like yeah, jumping, good. jumping, right. and uh, I thought it was a hot. <laughs> were a hot club, would you eat yourself? The shark had a doo-wop <laughs> section. <laughs> Ragdoll, that is little cutie. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no, you're so fine. I go up on stage at because of Stand Up New York. Two things that I care about happened at Stand Up New York. That's where Seinfeld gave Orny Adams the relaxed speech in the movie Comedian. He tells that story about yep. like tr- tr- trudging through the snow with your instruments and looking at a family and going, how do people live like that? And then the other one was you go up and you do this. You, ad- you have your call back for us. I SNL. go up. I, you got to keep in mind there was never any pressure because there was no percentage-wise. 
there's two people a year that get on Saturday Night Live. And yeah. that's being generous because a lot yeah. of times they just hold the company line. Sometimes yeah. it's eight people. Sometimes it's none. So I figure two people a year get on Saturday Night Live. Out of the entire United States and overseas, because they look at people from England and Australia, anybody – English-speaking world, uh, the odds of me getting into this show are zero. Right. Absol- the odds of you going to the major leagues and playing major league baseball when you're playing little league – is zero. Yeah. There's no pressure because there's not a chance in hell I'm going to get this. But that that's some that's some evolved thinking because it, most comedians would just dwell on the what if and next thing you know everybody's having an anxiety attack. But uh, you realize the truth. But that's the but I I don't have that feeling when I audition for a show or a movie. I go in thinking, well why wouldn't they give it to me? Right. I've memorized this. I have this down cold. They'd be foolish not to give it to me. Yeah. And they don't give it to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm at home going, what? Yeah. Giovanni Rabisi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not even alike. Yeah. Marlon Wayans. <laughs> they went another direction entirely. All right. <laughs> you know, with Jay, everything's about race. That's why he loves NASCAR. You know? <laughs> so. <laughs> so you knew you had zero was, chance, and that was liberating. I just. Found I don't know it's just providence it's just something it's just good old providence <laughs> it's just something where I realized well you can go bananas about this or because I saw everyone else getting freaked out the first time and they were all wearing like the comedy uniform yeah jeans nice shirt suit jacket sleeves pushed up yeah. a little bit past the yeah, uh, yeah, forearm yeah. yeah and their hair and I'm like bro like if you want to stand out just show up and do it. Right. Without having, like, this is what I wore when I left my house. Right. Do it. Right. I went to the gym with yeah, my but this roommate. This is some rarefied air. Comedians can't always be there. You're in a great place. And you're yes. right. It is Providence. There are times when you're a fucking hurricane and you're just like, I got this. There's no pressure. I'm going to go up in my t shirt. And then there's fear. And fear fucks us out of so many wonderful things. Yes. But that's a, and a, for the, people that are listening that are in show business, my son asked me. My oldest boy, when I hosted the NHL Awards, he said, were you afraid? And it was a real weird question because for some reason, I was terrified mm. before I went out. I think it was on Spike. I forget what network it was. It was live on TV. It was live. And I was about to do the monologue for the NHL Awards. And the Stanley Cup champions are there and all these players. And I, for some reason, completely uncharacteristically, was freaking out. Mm. And then I went, Oh, it's all in teleprompter, and I wrote it. Right. And then I went, what? Then, and my son, for some reason, that particular gig asked me, were you afraid? And I said, I gave him advice by accident, and this I'll give to the listeners. Uh, yes, I'm afraid until I realize I'm prepared. Yeah. So anytime you have fear in your life, you got to give it another pass. There's, you shouldn't be. There's nothing to be afraid of if you have done it. Yeah. So you can do it in your sleep. And no matter what, they, could you do it with an Australian accent? No matter what they right. throw at you, you go, yeah, I'm your guy. Like, make it laughable, the amount of time that we're spending on this. Right. Because I'm Preparing. this prepared. Yeah. Yeah. You, and so the, the fact that you cram that into a four-minute thing in an audition, right. or to be a host of a game show, just, you got it. Make it so it's impossible for them not to give it to you. So even when they don't give it to you, even that's laughable. Right. Like, I don't even know how I didn't get it. Well, that's the word that, we, that always comes up in advice is, is you want to get to the point where it's undeniable. And it's natural. Yeah. And it's not cocky. It's just confident. It's, it's, it's yours. certain. Go in like you're shooting the show that day. Yeah. Whenever I do an audition, I make believe I'm shooting the scene in the movie. And that's why I'm going there. 
Right. I don't hold sides in my hand because right. I figure everybody else does. Right. And I'm like, you can't memorize this? These people are putting together a $40 million movie and you have to hold a fucking script in your hand? Yeah. Are you going to do that when they shoot it? Yeah. Why separate? Why put your, Why would you do that? Well, you're acting as if. You're acting as if you have the part and why you're doing you? it. Yeah. Why wouldn't you be as I've, prepared as if? I've had actors say it looks like if you hold the script, it looks good because you know. How it could might, it look good? They, I, I forget how, how they could it look good. They said uh, because they what know. What other job can you go in in the preparation stage and bang it out? Like, are you going to get your teeth done by a guy looking at a fucking dental manual? Yeah. And then looking into your mouth? Like, yeah. Because it looks good, though. Because you know I'm like studying, you know. <laughs> and you know I'm still leaving a little on the table for next time. Well, that's it. Leaving Fuck it on the table that. for next time. No, don't leave anything on the table. If you want the job, go and take it. Go in and make it yours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Make it yours before you get... It is yours. Right. Presence. Be present. Well, it's funny that you this say that. This is my job. Because... I'm doing my job. My job right now is that I'm showing you this is my job. Right, 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 right. And presence and fear have a lot to do with each other. When you, when you can calm down and be in the moment, that's what it sounds like you're doing can at I the NHL Awards. Can I finish this SNL story? It's yeah, like, please, go uh, ahead. I'm just kidding. Uh, didn't you already? Oh, you didn't. No. I got presents written down. I never forgot to talk, talk about presents. It's the most important thing in the world. I really think it is. More than it's, health? Hey, at least you have your presents. Well, actually, it's... <laughs> I have ball cancer. Hey, you know what? At least you have your presents. A present person... they say in the neighborhood. You know what? You know what <laughs> at least you have your presents. You know what I mean? <laughs> I would say a person who's truly present, as often happens with people who are given fatal diagnoses, can live potentially more in the couple months that they have remaining, and I'm not trying to be flip, than some fucking healthy guy that's just going around being distracted by flashing rectangles. It's, it's, that's what? TVs, movies, your oh, car windshield, yeah, yeah. your phone. Very Blade Runner of you, yeah. just flashing rectangles. Fuck that guy. Well, that's what happened with uh, Terrence McKenna before he died. He was a big uh, LSD shroom guy, a big meditation guy, learning how to be... I know he was using drugs, but not everybody uses drugs. He said in the weeks before he died... Uh, he had a brain tumor. He would be moved to tears by the sight of like an ant crawling across the tray in his in his uh, room. Just the beauty of that. <clears throat> so that's like a real moment because he was being present, even though he didn't have his health. So I'm not trying to say you're wrong. I, understand. I don't think you're being flip at all, and I don't okay. think anybody else does. Okay, I'm, I'm just not trying to be disrespectful to people with a, a bad diagnosis. But the truth is, is we're all fucked. The world is on fire. You're dying currently in front of me. What, I'm rotting. We're, I was we're born both rotting. Yeah. Yeah, that's what my friend Duncan Trussell says. We're in meat computers. We landed in this universe in this spaceship made out of meat, and it expires. So go fucking hug your son. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or do this podcast and, and share something meaningful, which you already have. Fucking A, man. Presence. Right on, bro. Yeah, you got me all inspired. I'm inspired Finish by you the being story? inspired. I, isn't that fun? That's the name of the game. Be Here Now, Oasis album. There you go. Be Here Now, great book by Ramdas. Stolen by Oasis. <laughs> Oh yeah, I guess you're right. No, no, no. I he feel didn't make, foolish. No, he didn't make it up either. It's it's just a good thing to say. You know what's bugged me out is uh, Descartes. Uh, <laughs> I think, therefore, I am. Yes. It's and like it takes like crazy. There's this new psychiatry where they're super immersed in Buddhism and Taoism, where they they really they break it down to like this child form, and it's I think, therefore, I am. It, it, it that it's I think therefore it, there's there's a duality in your mind at all times, right? Where if you're like because you can lay in bed. Here's a great exercise for the listeners. There is so much of you that you don't even understand. Lay in bed 
and keep track of what you're thinking mm-hmm. and just kind of file it away like that's weird that's weird because it never stops and it's like a marketplace it's in the four agreements the Toltec uh, mm-hmm. discussion about the marketplace in your mind and just keeps going and file away what you're thinking about what you're thinking about what you're thinking about and then what you don't realize is well I'm over here cataloging my yes. thoughts yes so who am I I think therefore I am no, I think, therefore, I'm just, that's a thought I have. Right. Who am, yeah, right. who am I? That's called, uh, Eckhart Tolle calls that observing the thinker. Observe, exactly. When you take a moment and go, I'm, I like to think of, I know this is weird, I visualize it. I think of an orb being my ego and my thoughts, and then me floating outside of it and going, look in there, there's the thing that we call Pete, but I'm over here. It's an empowering thought. Yeah. It's an optimistic thought. It's weird. I didn't until I was given that assignment. I think it was going to pieces without falling apart. Written by a psychiatrist who was trying to give Buddhist advice to his patients, but you'll get fired because it's a religion. Really? Yeah, you can't like tell people. You know, in the book of uh, John, uh, yeah, Christ yeah, yeah. predicted his own death. Right, right. In the Passion Prophecy. It's, yeah, it's not <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which a lot of people think were added later. Um, Maybe. It was all added later. Yeah. It's like if we started writing about the uh, Revolutionary War now. Isn't that interesting? That's when the Bible was written. That's so interesting. Yeah. Like, we didn't well, there was st- this guy, George Washington, and wrote on a horse. Well, you started writing cool. it. Kicked you know, over a money-changing table or something. That much later. And then it didn't even become the official religion of Rome, which is when they really started taking it serious until even later. Yeah, and that was all politics, too. That's why I like my church, St. Monica's, because my priests will talk openly about like, oh, that was all political, man. They needed to, yeah. you know, the Jews and the Romans, they had to figure out a way and right. we make them the son of God, do we? You know, right. It's a whole thing. Well, that's interesting. The Bible, the, the first book of the Bible uh, of the New Testament, Matthew, start Matthew starts with uh, justifying Christ's lineage back to the line of David, King David. Yeah. We have to remember that he's born of a virgin, so Joseph didn't have sex with Mary. Yeah. But they're tracing it back to Joseph because that's how you do lineages. But there's none of Joseph in Jesus. Isn't that interesting? It is. It, yeah. And do you, I learned so much. I went back. To church in my mid 30s and completely immersed myself in like actual Bible study. The word origin, uh, someone will look this up and correct me. The guy that decided what order the books go in in the Bible, uh-huh. his name was Origin. Is that right? That's why the word or, that's where the word origin comes from. That's very interesting. The man that put the the tablets in order. I did not know that. And, th- and that whole process. That's amazing. The man whose name was Origin. You ever meet a guy named Origin? His first name was Clyde. I like to meet his mother, and that's Origin's Origin. Origin's Origin, and just keeps going on. It's like when you're in an elevator, and you see your reflection in two mirrors, and it goes on forever, and you wonder, I wonder if there's really that many of me. <laughs> and then the elevator doors open, and you realize you're only wearing pajamas. <laughs> I'd love to get Origin. <laughs> I'd love to get Origin's mother a citrus fruit. How the fuck I was going to go Then there I too. could get Origin's origin an orange. <laughs> I wonder if I brought Origin to the zoo with his mother and I brought Origin's origin a citrus fruit orange and we saw the orangutans. Ah, then there'd be Origin's origin eating an orange watching Which the orangutans. Orange, you're glad I didn't say banana. <laughs> Standing ovation. <laughs> <laughs> so, so my we, manager on the comedy club. Yeah, <laughs> I passed. Yeah. I, they only saw three comics. Yeah. I was one of the ones that they said go to the second spot. A t- couple weeks later, Lauren Michaels is there at Stand Up New York. 
Rob Schneider, a couple cast members. Marcy Klein's there again. Now, you got to keep in mind, when you pass the test between this first group of people, that group of people, it's in their best interest that you do well the second time. Otherwise, they look foolish in right. front of their boss. They have as much riding right. on it as they you. want you to do well. Otherwise, your boss is like, well, why did you bring me all the way out of right. my house in the Hamptons to see this asshole right, 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 right. doing Harvey Keitel impressions as a deaf boy? Right. <laughs> I touched deaf Keitel. Hey, come on in. <laughs> He's a good boy. He's a good boy. We don't believe in conquering the implants. <laughs> oh, God. Three so offensive things. The audition, <laughs> I thought that Lauren Michaels and Rob Schneider and all the cast members that were there and Marcy Klein and Ryan Schrocki were sitting in the back left-hand corner of stand-up New York. And it's pitch black. Any comedy club, you really can't see past the first four rows. So it was more important for me. I went to the gym, and then I went up to the bar at stand-up New York, and I had like three beers. So I had like that little loosey-goosey. I was mm-hmm. a little lubed up. And the gym probably got some good indoor yeah, blood and I was, flow. Yeah, I was literally wearing like a Stroudsburg Wrestling Camp of Champs t-shirt, and I just changed into jeans and like Adidas, Shelto sneakers. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, whatever, bro. And everyone's in their, everyone was in their comedy uniforms, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went up, and after everything I told, every story, I did a bunch of impressions. I did Arsenio Hall, I did Andrew McCarthy, I did De Niro, I did Pesci, I did Pesci. And, and you De Niro. had them talking to each other. Yeah, I had Pesci and De Niro as Batman and Robin, like, you know, what do you stop eating, you fat bat fuck? You like a fucking fat bat bastard. What, your belly's hanging over the fucking bat belt? You broke the bat pole? Stop beating. The girl, she's all over you, Batman. And then I had De Niro, which is a facial thing, and the whole thing. And I just, I didn't have as, I just said, I'm just going to have fun. But after every joke, it was more important for me, for them to know I wasn't afraid of them. That fucking I egg. wanted them to know that on live TV, I wouldn't give a shit. So right. I stared them down in the back left hand corner of Stand Up New York. And I just, in between this, every bit. Yeah, and then I would just do impressions. I would just stare back at them, and I would just be like, in their, just doing it, like, whatevs, man. And then I walk off stage. I, I actually killed, destroyed. Like, I really destroyed. It was rubble. Yeah. And, and there's a few sets of your life where you go, that was the one. And that was one of the ones where you go, Jesus Christ, that yeah. was bananas. Yeah. And as I walk off stage, I walk past them on the back right-hand side. Yeah. So I was staring at like some fucking real estate broker from Long Island <laughs> for 20 minutes. I'm like, you talking to me? Huh? Yeah. yeah. Huh? I'm the only one standing here. But that that is, that's the essence. They were probably going, why does he keep staring over there? I think. He's afraid of us. Ah. I actually don't think it matters where you were staring. I think it matters that it was in your the stare was in your heart. I'm not even like trying Christ. to. What do you mean? Christ is in my heart. Is Jesus in there? Oh yeah. We end the show talking about religion. Are you really going to hold me to this hour thing? Yeah. I, I, then well, let's talk about God right now because it's already come up naturally twice. Oh okay. Is Jesus really in your heart? Yeah. But he, uh, the teachings uh, of Jesus certainly. I don't know if his physical manifestation. I don't know if there's a guy running around. Right. Or maybe it's a Mexican guy named Jesus. <laughs> Listen, and he's Listen, rep- keep pumping. <laughs> Don't stop pumping and flapping, puppy. These are yours to stay. Come on. Oh, he's talking to the heart. Listen, you got to keep going. If I'm going to live in here, in J- <laughs> Mr. Yay. Gay Latino if Jesus. I'm gonna, if, yeah, of course, puppy. It's actually Louis Gu- It's like a little man like Louis Guzman. <laughs> Lives in my heart as personally. I thought those were ventricles. <laughs> I thought you were aortas. Personally, Papi, I think they can work harder for you, bro. <laughs> so, but you, you, uh, I'm not trying to contradict you. I think the teachings of Jesus are wonderful. I, myself, am a Christ-leaning spiritual person. Mm-hmm. But I'm also aware of the uh, probability 
of uh, fallibility. Let's say that the fact that I just told you, you should be that because... the passion prophecies were probably added, and 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 the lineage of David going back to Joseph instead of Mary, uh, and me just being like, does it matter to you? Not by the way, you need to know. I've been in the trenches with Penn and with Alan Havey, and I've I've been with the staunch atheist crowd. Yes, shoveling it back at me. Yeah. So you don't. I don't want I'm, you to walk on eggshells at any point. Oh, in this I'm not whatsoever. walking on eggshells. I but okay, good. You I don't probably picked up on that because I do like that. I, I like running into people with different beliefs, and I think that's interesting. But it doesn't seem. To, let me let me ask you. Does it matter to you when we say? Um, in the Lord's Prayer, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen, was probably added hundreds <clears throat> of years later. No. Who cares? So if if we don't know that Jesus said this for sure, we don't know Jesus said anything for sure. This is what sure. we know for sure. We know Jesus was an actual person that was a, a, a sentient being on earth. Yeah. He's a person that lived on earth. Just like you and I. We do know that. Okay. No? You don't know that? I mean... How how deep do you how existential do you want to go? How what can you prove? I there mean, there was a man Jesus uh, that lived named Jesus in Nazareth. Sure, but you're saying it like whatever. No, I mean if we're going to trust what people wrote down and you know, the records and stuff, I've I've heard people like Josephus, the other historian at the time, didn't mention him. I'm pretty sure. Now you can correct me on that. Do you believe that there was a Buddha thousands of years ago, a sitting? Well, five hundred years after before Christ was Buddha. Which, okay, let me put it to you this way. Fuck record keeping. Nobody cares about that. But 500 years there was before... A, let me real quick. There was a man important enough at the time... Yes. ...that they kept a verbal record for yep. 200 years of the shit he like... He stayed alive. This, like a great concert you saw. Right. Like Jane's Addiction at the Ritz, 1991. Right, right. It was fucking bananas. They right. opened with Up the Beach, right into Mountain Song. Right. Then they did Pigs and Zen. Then they did Stop but then we, Ritual Dill Habitual. Then we have a problem, though, because over 200 years, that Jane's Addiction concert starts getting crazier Still and crazier. same set list. Or is it? Yeah. It I is. mean, like, I... But the bottom line is, there's two things we know. There's a I band. saw Radiohead six months there, ago. I don't know if they played two, Karma but Police. But there's something you know. There's it a, was a band great show. Radiohead, yeah. and you saw it, right? and you were compelled to share it with someone. I agree with that. And there's only three people in the world that that is ever, in, since, there, since the Big Bang or since the universe started unfolding right. that that has ever happened with. I choose to believe that all of them are real because... You'd have to be so you take Jim Jones, Charlie Manson, Richard Sp- any serial killer, and Adolf Hitler. You would have to have that times a billion, 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 right? To get an entire planet of people to go Buddha, absolutely, yeah, Abs- absolutely. I understand. We're down, part and parcel. We got it. Yeah, but they're a little weird. Do you really think they're all connected? I don't give a shit. It's Buddha. I don't give a shit. It's Buddha. So I love that. I really do love that. Somebody I think that's named great. Christ did something so indelible that they wrote a book called the Bible and they put it in a certain order to share the teachings of Christ. Right. And they called it Christianity. The word Christ is in it. Yeah. Okay? Regardless of... Uh, and, I, and I'm not a... I'm not a bi- I'm, I get a lot of heat from born-again Christians because I'm very liberal with my interpretations. Sure. I choose to believe that a lot of these stories are parables. They are stories. Yep. I don't believe Jonah lived in a fucking whale. I think if you do, then maybe that works for you. I sure. tend to not... You know. You're not saying God said it. I'm a cafeteria Catholic is what they call it. Yeah. I, I choose what works for me, which is like my knee-jerk response is, what, what, why would anybody do anything else? Right. 
Of course I choose what works for me. Well, because we start getting into things like this is the word of God. and it's been Lot had down. sex with his daughters. Yeah. Okay. There's a great book. John Shelby Spong wrote a great book called Res- Rescuing well, the Bible. Lot, I believe Lot let people rape his daughters. I don't think he, he fucked no, his daughters. No, Lot's wife turned to salt. They went to a cave and his daughters said, let's get him drunk and let's lay down with them. Was and they that Lot? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I, 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 I'm not sure. Lot? I yeah. love that we're talking Lot. Now, now you're in my head. Yeah. Ronnie Lot from the 49ers. Let's not, let's not hang ourselves up on facts. Let me put this... No, it was Lot. Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay. Lot and his wife. Don't look back was their instruction. She right. looked back. She, she looked back. She salt. Yep. Do you believe that? Mm, no. Right. Uh, maybe. But now, you know, histo- we're going to get hung up on this. But in the Bible, this the reason I'm saying you choose to believe it works for you right. is because the born-again people are so dyed in the wool. This is what it says here. And if right. you don't believe in this, you're going to hell. Like if you throw away one part, you have to Gays throw the whole thing away. are going to hell. It's an abomination for a man to lay down with another man. And John Shelby Spong was the Archbishop of the Episcopalian Church in Newark. He was the first guy of that huge title and magnitude to allow gay and lesbians to openly commit to his church and worship. Mm-hmm. And they tried to defrock him. Mm-hmm. He said, I'm the only one being Christ-like. These people want to come into my church and worship Christ. I'm not going to turn them away. Mm-hmm. And they said, but it says in the Bible, man ought not lay down with another man. And he wrote an entire book, Pete Holmes, called Rescuing the Bible from Fundamentalism. And his entire book, he points out the things that are factually completely cannot possibly correct be correct. Mm-hmm. There couldn't have been a flood that was a mile higher than the greatest peak. We know it because science keeps catching up to faith. Mm-hmm. And then a miracle happens in your life every day. And then faith outdoes science and vice versa. If there was a great flood, we'd know it. Um, right. It, it, uh, Jesus could not really have met John the Baptist. The timing is way off and all, you know. And But he's an archbishop, mm-hmm. which is what makes the book so fascinating because the book is written by somebody who's given his life over to Christ. Right. It's not a lefty Cal professor. He didn't throw the baby out with the weird No, he goes, I, <laughs> I work for Christ. I'm married to Christ in the church, but let's, let's not kid each other. If you're going to interpret this literally, right. thou shalt not kill. Moses parted the Red Sea. Well, when he unparted it, Hundreds of thousands of Egyptians drowned and died. Right. He broke a commandment. Right. He, he killed an Arab for whipping a Jude. Thou shalt not forsake thy parents. Jesus, on the walk to, Jesus said, I have no mother. Right. You know, right, 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 sure. Don't worship false idols. Right. Why, you know, every commandment's been broken in the Bible. Mm-hmm. So. And then that's very, very interesting. And so, yes, I choose to believe... Why as then? Christ as the Son of God? Why are we picking this? Is it are we afraid of death or we want some moral structure? I'm not afraid of death. I'm afraid Does of it the hum? pain that goes into all of dying. I'm afraid of dementia. I guess. Yeah, but none of it has anything to do with when I was a kid and something went wrong. No one taught me to look up yeah. and ask for help. Are you asking for help now? No, I, you don't. You're not a prayerful person. When I pray, it's usually to. Um, I'm very. Th- I'm a very thankful person. When I pray, it's usually help me to be kinder, love more, live more. Which doesn't require be a more Jesus. Pre- I ask for presence. I ask for yeah. The three. The things I really pray for the most is clarity. Uh, and I forget the other two. <laughs> so I really <laughs> need to work on the clarity. So fun. was that a bit? No, I just made it up on the spot. That's very. It very is clarity. Funny. Clarity, presence, and gratitude. These are good things. But uh, you know, there are people who are atheists that can benefit from those things as well. You don't need a Jesus. Why do we have a Jesus? Is it, is it because you have a family? Well, Jesus. Whether I accept him or not, there's still a Jesus. It's not that the question. historical Jesus. I'm talking about. There's the an Jesus. odd question. 
I'm talking about you're like, claiming th- you're claiming him as God. You're taking him on as God, which you don't need to to enjoy his teachings right. or know that he historically and existed. And you're asking, do I do it because I have a family? Because there's like high risk stakes. A Am I hedging my bets? I'm asking. Am that- I believing in Christ so that I can get into an afterlife if there is one? Yeah, answer any of those. Those no. are all great questions. No, I dig the teachings of Christ when I read the New Testament. Yeah, and I I like the way you rolled. <laughs> and I and I like the entire. Mary was the virgin. Uh, uh, people say, like, you know, uh, the virginal birth. You know, Ma- I, I love when I really went back into the Bible studies and stuff, and, like, even a Hail Mary, that that prayer is so cyclical and so Buddhist. And all three religions, by the way, it's the same message, it's the same thing, and you should cross the streams and make a beautiful rope with those three twines, hmm. I think. But when you do a Hail Mary, first you're praying for her, and then at the end, you're asking her to pray for you. That in itself is a circle. When you get married in a church, a wedding ring is a circle. It's a circle. It's a circle. It's a circle. Hmm. And with you combine that with the, the Buddhist principles of you know, being present and being here right now. What was that guy teaching his patients? Do you remember? Like he was teaching them? He would have to make up... What was his name? Well, the name of the book is definitely the psychiatrist book. Mm-hmm. It's going to pieces without falling apart. Stein, maybe? Mark mm-hmm. Stein? Okay. Uh, but he would have to figure out ways. He would have to come up with other. He would just rename things. Mm. So, like he had, uh, he had a patient with a terrible back, and he told him to learn to juggle, because he once had a terrible back, and he was on a Buddhist retreat, and there was these twin Tibetan guys that were like a juggling act, mm-hmm. and they and he had like a pinched nerve, like a searing, terrible, stabbing pain at all times. It never went away, and he realized days later. When he was up and running with three balls juggling, no pain. <laughs> because he had, in a word he made up, unintegrated. He removed himself from the self. <laughs> he took himself. He wasn't present in his body. He allowed His entire body was where those three balls were. The juggling was a moving meditation. There was no room for pain because he wasn't inside here. He was out there. That's so interesting. So he created a word, unintegration. Mm-hmm. So stuff like that. That's, that's great. And, you're, and it sounds like you're hip with the boot. I love Buddhism. Yeah. Adore it. Yeah, I love yeah. Zen Buddhism. And the nuttier it gets, like, a leaf falls on a bamboo and a man breaks his toe. One yeah. loses, one wins. And you're like, I, all right, <laughs> great. And then I just sit there and I read the little Zen Buddha handbook yeah. on the toilet going, I'm, I'm going to figure this out for the yeah. life of me. And then I go, maybe that's why the Buddha's smiling because I'm sitting here taking a shit trying to figure out nonsense. Yeah, yeah. But it, it gives you a little bit of a guide. Dead over? Do you think when we die we're dead? I don't think it's impossible to extinguish spirit. You think it is impossible to extinguish spirit? Correct. Yeah. The physical form, the Tibetans, it translates literally to luggage. Really? Human body. Our body is luggage. Luggage. That's it's for great. this part of our journey. Yeah. And when you move on, the way you feel love, the way you love a child, the way you love your parents, the, the, the nostalgia you feel when you think back to your childhood, swimming in the community pool, or when you think back to when... Your grandfather took you someplace and how cool a country fair, something you did. Mm. The first time you played, I'm not, even, I'm not making a joke. The first time you just sat in your living room and played Super Mario Brothers until you finished it. Yeah. And like that summer wasn't a summer wasted. Yeah. Like the joy that brought you. Oh, yeah. And when you think about that now, if you're smiling, how, could, how can that be extinguished? Because that's, that's a visceral thing that came from within you. That, what I just explained to you, anything you felt wasn't anything physical. It was a complete metaphysical. It's it's not even a vapor. It's not a mist. It's something no one knows what it is. That the feeling, love, yeah, the love inside your body, yes, 
If you've ever had your heart broken, the way you felt about that person, when you hear a certain song when you're heartbroken, and the way that makes you feel, and the way you wish, and you pine, and you wish for something, the way you feel, the way you grieve when someone dies, that's there's a physical manifestation with tears in your face turning red and snot all or over your, your brain body. Doing a certain thing, but that feeling of whoa, wait a minute, this is upside down. That our parents, no, I don't have anybody to call when things go. That that feeling of loss, even. That those aren't physical things; those are spiritual things that um, have to be divine. Hmm. They can't be explained, and they haven't yet been explained away by science. No one's ever said, "All right, okay, scientist, explain love." Right? Explain a baby being born and you being reduced to tears at the cycle of life and the circle of life. Right, we, we, can, explain, we can explain endorphins and survival instincts and all that sort of stuff. But no, it's your baby. Oh, I'm not even going against right. you. What I'm saying is we ha- I, I want to celebrate science for telling me that my brain is telling me not to eat my baby and it's releasing a huge amount of endorphins and all that sort of stuff. But I, I'm with you. I think the sum of us is greater than the parts. Right. But there's something happening that sometimes, and I'm quoting Rob Bell here. Do you know Rob Bell? No. Sometimes you need a scientist and sometimes you need a poet. Sometimes you need something that's quantified. Sometimes you need, I think, therefore I am, something objective, reason, and all that sort of stuff. And sometimes you need a, a song or whatever, or a meal. I've eaten things that have made me cry. I talk about crying a lot on the show. Are you a crying guy? Easily. I tear up, yeah. Good answer. Joy. I cry a lot of joy. Sometimes my, uh, my son is exquisite. Mm. And I know everybody says that, but this guy's really... Something. It's it's weird. <laughs> it's weird. He blows your hair back. There's a light inside of him, and it's it's he's not like the others. And sometimes I'll be this weekend. I'm laying in bed with my wife. The baby's winding down. He's like got super suntan now. We had a day out on the beach, me and him, and we're just laying in the bed. He's and he's just trying to make. He's two, and he's trying to make us laugh by like rolling his eyes back and like and like I don't even know where that comes from. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at my wife, and I'm like. This is the most perfect woman to be a mom to this nutbag kid mm-hmm. who's brilliant and funny because she's so brilliant and so funny and she loves hard and she's all-encompassing love like light. And I'm like – and I think I'm doing pretty good on the dad side. And then I get all nuts in my head of like like what I lacked in a parent, I get to make up for in this guy. And it's, and I, I look at my wife and I, I like – I. I have to turn away because I don't want my wife to think something's that I'm dying because I'm crying. Right. Laying in my bed last night at 5.30 at night after he's had his dinner and after his bath. Anybody that doesn't believe there's a divine spark, your kids make you crazy all day, put them in the tub, put them in the pajamas, slick their hair back, sit on the couch, hold them, give them a bottle and watch a cartoon and just look at that kid as he's just wiped out at the end of his day and that's... It's it's the twilight. It's that weird twilight where the light's different and there's a weird hue. It's almost the same light in the winter if you live in a place where there's a long winter like a Milwaukee or any place in Wisconsin or Minnesota or Michigan or in the Midwest when there's just so much snow for so long and you're walking home at night and there's that blue light coming out of living rooms from the TV and you look in there and you think, my God, it must be so warm and awesome in there and I'm out here with this bullshit. <laughs> and that realizing that that light is happening at that moment in your own home and you are giving out that light. And to me, no, that's never, that can't be explained away. Yeah. I have kids. I would be, 
it would be blasphemous to not believe in a higher power. Yeah. Because I have children. Because you, you have front row seats, it feels like. I've also had a near-death experience. What's that? You know, that's the other thing, too, with near-death experience people. Are they all wrong? Every single person that says I went to the, and I and I apply this to ghosts yeah. and I apply this to Jay. You're talking to the wrong guy and you're, UFOs. In, a, you're, in, a, you're in a safe place. If one person <laughs> is telling the truth. They can't by law of averages. They can't all be lying right. about the fucking guy in the suit that walks across their bedroom every night. It's a big open-minded thing. I, I I get turned on by my friends that that say it's all bullshit. That I can enjoy that, but I enjoy even more the guy that's like I enjoy maybe that was a atheist thing. specifically. What I get turned on by is how certain they are. Yeah, it's, it's comforting. How can you be that certain? Yeah. If you're, especially if you're a man of knowledge, Bill Maher and Penn Jillette are two brilliantly intelligent men. Yeah. Yeah. How do you close the door behind you and go, that's it, we're all done here. If there's no God, we're done. I, I bet there's something going on in their brain. I know that there's something going in, on in my brain. You want to talk about neural pathways. You want to talk about the fact that I'm a hugger. Although Penn Jillette looks like a fucking hugger, man. I bet he loves hugging. He's fun. I, He's filled with joy with I know. no God in his life. I know. He's filled with joy. I, I, just, I think the world needs them, and the, just like the world needs the Dalai Lama. Well, I it honestly can't be do. a positive without a negative. I, I think it can't be light without darkness. They can't. They're welcome at my party any day. Me too. And I take great comfort in them and at the end of the day i'd like to say tell me about when you almost died i was on an airplane i don't know if i even told this on my podcast oh i did maddie boy's like yes jesus christ his name i was Mike. on a 777 going from la to washington dc to do a gig and the plane got struck by lightning and i remember eric clapton's album came out we did all blue old blues covers it was a long time crossroads maybe and I'm listening to like five long years. I'm like, wow, buddy guy. And Willie, I'm listening to this. And all of a sudden, just bob, boom, like so loud where it got through my headphones. Let me ask, were you, you knew you were in a storm or was that a... Oh, it was a storm and it was yeah. weird and it was really bumpy. But there was a boom, like, an, like, a, a, like a lightning. Yeah. And a giant thunder crack and everything opened, all the compartments and everything fell out, gas masks or gas, oxygen masks. Yeah. And everybody goes, whoa, Jesus Christ. And like everybody just kind of went up and down. It was bananas. And we're going over the Potomac River. And you, like we're that, we're, we're going into land when this goes down. Hmm. And the pilot goes, we've been struck by lightning. Everything's completely fine. 777 is an enormous aircraft able to withstand. Boom! We get hit again. And we start fishtailing and fishtailing and fishtailing and fishtailing. And I'm sitting there going, holy shit. And I look behind me. I was in the first row of first class. Because I got it like that. <laughs> We're talking about the divine. We're talking about all this. And in there. See, I don't know why people think you're a dick, JJ. No, I don't think you're a dick. No, I know. You and I are old, old new friends. <laughs> new old friends. I look behind me and I could see all the way. And it's a huge aircraft. Yeah. Everyone's holding hands across the aisles. Well, you know turbulence is better in the front of the plane. Like it's it, the yeah. pilots feel the least amount of turbulence. The ra- last row, but it wasn't those people turbulence, are, Pete. There was an explosion. No, I understand. And but you're also fish fell into your lap, and, and, fish, and then there was a second explosion, and he didn't come back on. Yeah, he was in the middle of telling us this happens all the time, yes. and he got cut off by the second explosion. Yes, and I began to sweat, and everything that had ever happened in my life. There's maybe three instances where I saw me doing incredible harm to someone. And I, when I was a boy, I was about four or five years old. I had a fox terrier named Scamper. 
and it was just an, a dog that it wasn't like an affectionate dog. And I used to take that dog for walks in the woods and I would hit the dog with a stick and to beg me to get it to stop hitting it, it would lick my face to hmm. beg me to get it to stop. Oh boy. And I was like five years old when I would do this. And I saw that and I knew what I was wearing. I was completely, you want to talk about presents? I was in those like tough skin jeans mm. and some fucking Romanian sweater my mom made me wear because she was an alcoholic <laughs> and didn't know how to buy clothing. Looks like a Tetris level. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this dog had its paws up on my chest, licking my face, crying. And I went, and it just was in me, this, this vision. And I thought, wow, that's fucking weird. Mm. And there was another time... Uh, there was three times, three separate Wait, things. Wait, it, th- it showed you three things? Three things, one I'm willing to share. Uh-huh. Uh, and then I came out of that and I went, holy Can you give sh- me the category of the other no. two? I go, <laughs> no crimes. I, if, I go, if that's this vision of my life, because people are screaming. And guys are, there was a lot of Hasidic Jews in the plane, I remember. And they're like screaming the Torah, like, I don't want to lower what they do by doing an impression of it sure. but they are screaming prayers with like the bands and wrapped around their arms and people are crossing themselves and everyone's weeping yep. everyone's fucking crying their dicks off mm-hmm. uh, and I said if that's the vision of my life I'm in trouble hmm. this is bad and then I saw I cry when I tell the story it's, I've took about a hundred times telling the story to get where I could tell it without crying hmm. which is again that lends itself to something odd and divine that's greater than me because I could a scientist could explain it away, mm. but I know how I feel when I tell the story, mm. and you can't argue with how I feel. Atheist, <laughs> a flip book when you draw a thing on every page and the guy walks across the page because you draw a different version of the guy. You know those old flip books mm-hmm. where people. Mm-hmm. I saw every single person I'd ever made happy from the moment I have cognitive thought. Every comedy club. Every lover I had ever had, every orgasm, every touch, every handshake, every one-on-one encounter I had with somebody, just like I'm looking at you right now, where I'm locked in on your right eye, I saw Pete Holmes right here, smiling, my friend, (laughs) all of it. And it was all compressed into a one-second flip book. I saw people sitting in their seats from them looking at me on stage at the Tempe Improv. I saw every moment I'd ever made a human being happy in one second and went like a flip book. Hmm. And it made me explode into tears Hmm. and explode. And I looked and I was drenched and I was soaking wet with sweat. My pants were wet. I was sweating so bad. And I knew at that moment it was because the amount of joy I had shared that was broken off for me in my 27, 26-year-old life at that point couldn't possibly fit in this luggage. It is absurd what mm. I have received in this life as far as joy, giving and receiving, that if I even am shown it for one second, it comes out my hair and it makes me sweat through my legs and it makes me sweat through my clothing. It leaves me through my pores and through my tear ducts and I'm drool. I am mm. a wet mess, like a champagne cork going off of joy. Mm. And I had the knowledge at that moment that if I do live, I have the ability to increase this exponentially every single day when I meet another person. Mm. And I said, God, I didn't ask for life. 
It was bad, Pete. This fucking plane was, it was nuts. And you can see the Potomac River right there. And mm-hmm. you're just, wow, wow, all over the place. And I said to God, if I die on this plane, let it be quick. And I will serve you. On my knee, I come to you as your servant because I've seen the joy I've had in this tiny life. And it, just let it be quick so the people that love me don't think this was a long, drawn-out thing. Let it be a fireball that just, I'm gone. Mm-hmm. Amen. The plane gets struck by lightning again. Nothing happens. And we land. <laughs> <laughs> We're sitting on the runway, parked, <laughs> like we land, we jam the brakes, and we sit. And in my mind, I was told, like the ticker tape that comes out of the old news, human beings are the noblest of creatures because we're sent to earth to co-create with God. And I thought, what? And right when I thought what, it said, human beings, and I could see it being typed out, da, 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 like the in news. your eye. Yeah, but in not my 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 core, like yeah. in my balls, in my heart, my stomach, my brain. It wasn't a my, visual thing. It was just in you. It was in me, but I when I picture it, the way it feels was like when you see the news getting typed out. Da 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 da. News Xanadu. At human beings are the noblest. And then when I when I went what it typed slower and in a larger font. Human beings are the noblest of creatures because they are sent to earth to co-create with God. And I said, well, okay then. Holy shit. And then everybody got off the plane and I went and I saw a minister the next day who happened to be, Pete, the same church. Oh, it was Richmond, Virginia. It was where I was going eventually. It wasn't due to a gig. It was due a movie. I apologize. I walked into the first church I saw because I got to go talk to a man that's close to God. Hmm. Because I'm wayward, but I've been seen, I've got a peak. And what happened was I kept having nightmares and I kept having daydreams of us actually crashing. And I knew exactly, I could explain it to you, it'd take way too long, but I know what it feels like to be in the Potomac River and that water rushes through and I can't explain how black that is. Mm. And the feeling of water coming behind you like you're being chased and you realize you're in a seat. And suddenly you're super aware of the fact that there's two individuals in front of you. I will never get out that hole because there's two, just two people that have been sitting in a jump seat right there the whole time. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, it's a thing. And it started making me a little crazy <laughs> because I kept, it started as a nightmare of the plane crashing. And I knew it was, and I would wake up uh, right as the water came, water came from the back. And then I would be in like downtown Richmond window shopping. And I would just be a lot like a panic attack. It would just wash over me and I would just see it. And then I came to the conclusion on my own because I was just obsessed with it that it was a flip of the coin whether or not we were going to die. Because a scientist will tell you, well, you're in an electrical storm in a giant metal tube which attracts lightning. And you got hit three times and your plane was enormous and it didn't go down. But I know that it was an absolute coin toss as to whether or not that plane went down. But for some reason, heads I win, tails I lose. Mm -hmm. For some reason, it was heads. We all win on that plane. But I, for some reason, whether it was my consciousness and my presence with my God that I was willing to give my life over to because I realized I was dying, I got a peak 
right before that coin went down of what it looked like on the what tail, tail side. Like, yeah. Right before the coin went flat. I got a little peek in there. Hmm. I go into a church. The, po- the photo on the wall is of John Shelby Spong. By happenstance and chance, I walk into the church he started uh, preaching at in Richmond, Virginia. It's an Episcopalian church. Mm -hmm. I'm not Episcopalian. I'm nothing. I'm just, I was raised Presbyterian. I prayed still. I'm still a guy that loved God and cool stuff and Mm -hmm. like to smoke pot and read a lot of Buddhism books and Taoism. (laughs) I talked to a minister and he said, God must have really big plans for you. And I said, you got to be fucking kidding me with that shit. I said it to his face. (laughs) And he was so taken aback as he should have been because nobody talks to people like that. Yeah. And he said, why does that bother you? I go, because if God has plans for me, I should be lauded on the news. If the reason the plane didn't go down, the arrogance uh, that men of cloth will say to a civilian, like, well, God must have, you lived. God must have really big plans for you. Well, then shouldn't everybody on the plane be in my hotel right now throwing me a party? Because I'm the reason everybody lived. Or shouldn't everyone on that plane go forward to do something extraordinary? And I said to him. Or should everybody on a plane that crashes do, all those people were Bad people. And, and that's what I said to him. I yeah. said, there's 300 people on that plane. By law of averages, there must be three child molesters on that plane. Holy shit. Think about that. Yeah. Shouldn't we all go into the river just because it'll, just if we could just save 100 kids collectively? Maybe there's eight. Maybe there's a guy that punches his wife in the face whenever he goes home. And every time that car pulls up the driveway, this poor woman contemplates killing herself. I'm the reason these scumbags are still walking the earth. Right. I'm the reason all these people get to live. And the guy goes, and then once we clear the decks, we got into this like daily for two weeks existential conversation of why. And then the why became. Wait, you go in every day for two weeks? I went in every day. I wasn't happy with the ambiguity of, yeah, why? Mm -hmm. And that became science. The why was we were struck by lightning three times and the 777, lucky numbers. Yep, God's number is able to withstand lightning strikes. I was in a storm in a metal tube which attracts lightning mm-hmm. at the highest point. That's why. And the reason we didn't die is because the lightning didn't make the tail touch the water. Right. And it didn't make the instruments go out. And good pilots. That and the pilots. That's the why, the scientific. However, in the science, I experienced a divine spark that made me weep and made me overflow, and I overflowed joy. And now I, you know, I'm glad you asked me because it's like, well, I better fucking be nicer to people when I leave here. <laughs> well, it's interesting in telling the story, which is which is a real gift. It's interesting to consider that this this is adding. How many people will hear this? How many people will hear all the different things you do? All the all this joy and I hate the word blessings, but blessings that you're putting out there. It's a lot of pages in the flip book. You know what I mean? Yeah. Next time. But you have the ability. Just hedge your bet. I'm not asking anybody to be a Christian because I think that's disgusting when people tell you that if you don't do it this way, it's wrong. Mm. Whatever's working for you is great. But just the golden rule, treat people the way you want to be treated. The Beatles, the love you take is equal to the The love love you make. make. What if there is a flip book at the end of your life? Yeah. Well, that's a good don't, goal. Don't you want it to... Fill it with it, love. Let it flow. Yeah, fill it with love. Because I was only 25. If I live to be 80, I, it's going to be a goddamn water park when I'm done. Yeah, that's going to be a good book. Goddamn water park. Hey, Jay. Fucking hate, man. <laughs>
What? <laughs> I said fucking A. Yeah. It's fantastic. Just everybody be nice. That's my overall message. I love it. That was a real gift, man. And then Thank they you. invent the internet, and you read negative things about yourself, and you tell people to go get fucked on Twitter, and you go, oh, I'm totally going against uh, what that other thing was. I wouldn't be too hard on yourself. I think you're doing pretty good. I think you're doing more light than dark. Right? I know I am. Yeah. I know I am. I think that that's the best we can hope for. A lot of dark behind me. <laughs> Let me ask you this, uh, and I've taken too much of Virgo. your time. What's oh, that? Virgo. Mm. What? I want. I bet you have. I bet you have a wonderful answer to this. Presents. We've talked a lot about presents. December twenty fifth. Presents. Yeah, I'm always present on December twenty fifth. Unless you're a Jew. Oh God! Four things that are offensive. Seven. <laughs> okay. Way to way to be dialed in. <laughs> Eight. I fucked it up. <laughs> God. David Tell is that great bit. Eight, eight, everyone thinks, oh, eight days of Hanukkah. Is it eight days? Well, I'm sorry. We're not Jewish, so Eight crazy us. nights. Eight, oh, yeah. So he goes, eight, eight days, eight presents. Not in my house. One toy, eight pieces. <laughs> the first day of Hanukkah, I get a bike wheel. <laughs> and he goes, my poor brother asked for a puppy. Oh, that's great. That's fantastic. A boogly. <laughs> Was that, that sounded like Sandler. That's a tell. It reminded me of him then. Uh, Adam Sandler. Jay, you gotta have a clonopin in your pocket. <laughs> I was on a plane. I got struck by lightning, and there's no, there's no video, and uh, I'm a mermaid baby. Uh. <laughs> I want to ask yep. you, JJ. The hardest you've ever laughed. You can tell. I'm sure you have a lot of them, but it's a, always a like probably fun on the hallucinogens, and I'm not joking. Yeah, uh, the Which hardest one? you laugh mushroom LSD there's a severity to it where that edge is always in the laugh but I, I probably the hardest I ever laugh I did uh, I opened for Barry Sobel at the University of Carnegie Mellon and then we did mushrooms and went to like some weird underground in the basement everything was black lit and the music was great and everything was perfect and there was a everyone had a number on your name tag uh-huh. there was a number and there was a uh, like a post office box like how you remember when your teachers would get mail and there was a huge wall <laughs> with each teacher's little slot, yeah. like all those different mail slots. Yeah. But they were numbered. So if I was number 18, my number 18. Now, some of you guys are listening right now. That's your favorite number. And you're going, how the fuck does Jay Moore talk uh, about God and Christ? And then he hits my number? Well, we get a lot of those It's a people, message. Because I'm one of those people. Um, so my number 18, I had a mail slot. So if I would go in my mail slot and be like, hey, you're hot, 44. Yeah. So now you're just tripping balls, walking around a party, just looking for 44. And it was so cool. But if she was ugly, you just keep walking oh and act like God. you never got the note. Oh, my God. Uh, and me and Barry Sobel, I remember when we spoke to people, we had like a sidebar meeting. And we're like, every time I talk to people, their heads grow. And he goes, me too, me too. And like every time you like, anytime like you stop <laughs> to engage somebody, they would just go, me. And their heads just got and it filled the entire basement of his house. So then we were like, "Let's go talk to people. Let's go talk to people." So we just went from person to person to person to person to person, watching heads expand. And, they, and yeah, and they're just going, and uh, that's probably the hardest I've ever laughed. Oh my god! Non hallucinogen laughing is probably. Uh, I don't know. I really have no idea. Yeah, I, it could even. But be you got to keep childhood. Mind. It doesn't have to you be. You got to keep mind though. You're, you're like guys like you and me. We laugh way more. No, I know. 
I like, actually think that's one of the keys. Like when, when I see a when bar, we're hanging out, yes, with our friend. Like you and I today laughed more than most people listening to this will laugh in a week. Right, right, right. And that was in an hour. Well, hopefully, I hope the listeners are doing better. I know you hope that for them too. But when I see a, a magnet, I don't. that that's what's weird. A magnet. That I'm on says, a new antidepressant that makes people around me way more depressed. It doesn't do anything for me. Uh, it's a placebo for me, but, but everyone else around me has negativity. an awful life, and I'm like, Jesus, what a bunch of fucking sorry sacks. <laughs> so I, I hate when I see a magnet that says, "Remember, laugh once a day," and I'm like, motherfucker, once a day? I would if your magnet was funnier. I, <laughs> your your mag- magnet's your, not helping at your all. Magnet su- I'd your rather magnet's ma- making me Mondays cry. Mondays are a bummer. Oh god, that would make me laugh. The Garfield so what's the hardest series. You've ever I've told I've told a, a lot of those stories. They're very simple. One of them, I, I'm not a big pot person, but one of them, I was on pot, and sometimes pot will enhance my. I was on the pot, enhances my ability to do impressions. He's on the pot. I made my friend vomit <laughs> in in the sink because I was doing Pacino, and in the middle of Pacino, I said, "There are eleven clocks in this room, right?" And there were 11 clocks in the You just room. guessed? I guessed and we counted. Wristwatch, wristwatch, microwave. 11 clocks. Oven. Oh, peace. Oh, my God. Don't come to me. Yours is better because it's and real. And act like you didn't case the joint. <laughs> Before you told your friend 11 clocks, you could have said any number. You said 11. Why? Why, Pete? Because you walk around, you count 11. Oh, yeah. I like that you counted a wristwatch. <laughs> I'm doing Pacino, but I'm doing Tracy Morgan's face. Did you catch I it? love it. Wristwatch. A bad man. I got Al Pacino pregnant and a baby Chewbacca uh, came out. In the back of a Chipotle. I would, I'm, uh, you know what? Going back to that flip book of happiness, I cannot, I couldn't tell you the top 100 times hardest I've laughed. Sure. Because I've, it's an embarrassment of laughter in my life. So much laughter. Yeah. If there was a flip book of laughter. Him and I have laughed so fucking hard at a seagull flying past. Yeah. Him and I reading Taco Bell two weeks ago, sitting on the rocks in Malibu, and a seagull landed, look at us, yeah. and you would have thought we were on mushrooms. Yeah, yeah. We lost our minds. I laughed so hard at a Joe DeRosa text this morning that I had to call him so he would hear it. Sweet Joey. Sweet Joey. Did you know when Joe did my podcast, did we tell you this? We were talking about serendipities. And you had j- I'd just given you my number. You had never texted me. And we were talking about you. And we figured out that when we were talking about you, you texted him and me. Like, you didn't know we were together. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we you ended the podcast, and we looked at our phones, and we both had texts from Jay Moore, and we're like, this is some fucking... See, guys like Joe are fun, because he'll, he'll indulge that. I made Ryan Sickler laugh so hard, I made him throw up. I was doing Andrew Dice Clay coaching the Patriots. Oh, that's great. Hey, belly check, um. <laughs> It was because Madonna was doing the halftime show at yeah. the Super Bowl, and I said, why don't we just go all 1993 and have Andrew Dice Clay coach the teams? <laughs> and I was just, it just fucking went south. That's, I think the ingredients for presence and fun and love and joy and laughter are always around us, but unfortunately, we, we, we don't open those doors. We're facing the wrong direction. In review, if yeah. I can impart to the Nerdist crew. Fuck the Nerdist crew. These are the weirdos. Oh, I didn't know that. We call them weirdos. You're just saying more, more, more warriors. Warriors. Uh, Jmore.com. Why don't you buy yourself a morning t-shirt? Whatever. Yeah, sure. Uh, Listen to more stories. I'm nervous until I'm prepared. Until I realize I'm prepared. That's one. Love it. Life is not fair, but it's fantastic. Two. That's all I got. Love and humans are the noblest creatures because they were sent here to co-create with God. Yeah. I was told that. And now, you, I, I'm not, I won't even say God told me that. 
No. That's a weird... It didn't come from my brain. That's a, that's a weird moment. I where, felt it in my balls and in my spine. You know what that is? It's when you put on a sport coat that you had as a, as a teenager, still fits, and you look in the, in the, in the pocket, the side pocket, there's a business card that just says that, and you're like, what the fuck is happening here? Yeah. You didn't realize there was an inscription. It's being John Malkovich. Yeah. It, Can you do John Malkovich? I'm better. I'm stronger. I'm faster. Fuck face. It's a B minus. Uh, it, it, it's it's cl- it's yeah. Fuck Shut face. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. It's uh, all fuck. Who's married to Maggie Gyllenhaal? What's his name? Who's married to Maggie Gyllenhaal? Yeah. Gyllenhaal. I don't know. He did a movie with him, and he goes. He talked. He does a perfect impression of him. Skarsgård. Skelis. Why did you shoot that duck, you asshole? That's quiet, Malkovich. He said he does a perfect impression of John Malkovich, and he goes, "The key to a Malkovich impression is you got to think like English is your second language." Oh, that's funny. That's why we're all here now. That's why I'm I, here. I can't do in him in front of you. But you do a little Schwarzenegger in there. I. You're doing him like he's deaf. I'm doing him like he's. That is full circle. Wait, you have to say yep. That is full circle. Touchdown. touchdown. You have to say right. keep it crispy. That's how we end. But I want Listen. you to say it as, as Stephen Wright. I need everybody out there to keep it crispy because there's going to be a battle of behemoths. Human beings are the noblest Jerry creatures. Rafferty, little brown bag. You get a little brown bag at Rafferty. Everybody keep it crispy and get pregnant. It's you made it weird with Pete Holmes and none of it was weird or uncomfortable. I felt nice. I feel like you might be my biological father, Pete. <laughs> I feel like you made me boy pregnant. Hey, keep it crispy now. Engage, you animal. You big titted fool. Keep it crispy. Keep it crispy, you whore. I'm in a corporate office yelling whore. Now leaving Nerdist.com. 